what I'd like to talk about this evening is a life of dedication. People who come on retreats often say how much they like to listen to stories about great spiritual deeds and great spiritual teachers. Sometimes it seems people get real enjoyment out of listening to stories about great renunciations and great renunciates, about people who seemingly overcome immense obstacles on their journeys. And I think when we hear these stories of great courage, great perseverance, great dedication, we often feel many things. In some ways, these stories really inspire us and hearten us. Some ways they make us feel less alone in our own journeys. We're not, we know that we're not the only ones who travel this path and have, find ourselves facing so many challenges as we try to live a life of integrity and freedom. Sometimes we're very encouraged by the stories that we hear that in many ways those stories that we listen to can make a life of freedom, a life of wisdom, seem more possible to us. But I think it is also true that at times when we listen to these stories of great saints and great masters who live incredible lives of sacrifice and commitment, we also at times feel discouraged. We compare ourselves to these people. We easily think, well, I have far too many distractions, far too many demands in my own life to live really a life of a dedicated spirituality. We might feel that we simply don't have the same depth of commitment or the same resources or the same wisdom that these great teachers and great sages have. The difficulty that arises at times in listening to these stories, even when we feel inspired by them, is that we can form an image, an idea, of what a spiritual life and what a spiritual path and what a spiritual person actually looks like. And in our ideas and our Im images of what a spiritual person and a spiritual path actually looks like, often caves and monasteries and shaven heads all tend to feature rather strongly in the images that we form. We have ideas of what a grand, a really dedicated spiritual life might be like. Somehow the demons, that the people we admire seem to meet in their journeys seem a lot more exotic than the demons that we meet in ours. We see, we hear people of fighting these heroic spiritual battles, cutting through powerful adversaries, having grand battles with lust and with doubt. And next to those grand battles, Sometimes our lives feel somewhat small and somewhat insignificant 
we think, well, what are the challenges that we meet in our lives? We don't have these grand demons. Instead, we have traffic jams. We have people who annoy us. We have problems with work. We have difficulties with parenting. Somehow, our life can seem less spiritual, less dedicated, less committed in some ways. In holding on to any kind of idea of what a spiritual life or journey or person looks like, we end up comparing, and our own life may look very different. And faced with our images, I feel we are very tempted to create hierarchies between what is a spiritual life and what is a worldly life. And we may even come to feel that for us to really live a spiritual life, that we somehow have to alter the form or the appearance of our outer life, our choices, and our directions. And it's very true that many people in the world feel that they are unable to do this and also in some deep way feel that a spiritual life is somehow impossible for them. These hierarchies between the spiritual life and the worldly life, they're nothing more than a construction of our minds. It is really easy to have the form of a spiritual life and yet still not live a truly spiritual life. When I was doing you know, some very intensive practice in the East, I had probably the most idyllic form of spiritual life. You know, I lived high in the Himalayas, you know, in a little, you know, hut that looks very much like a spiritual house, you know, very ascetic and surrounded by very loving people. The Dalai Lama was my neighbor. And, you know, it really looked good, you know. And, you know, every day we'd get up, you know, do mantras and prostrations, you know, and live this very quiet, very contemplative life. And I remember at one point I, my teacher had instructed me to spend several months doing loving-kindness meditation. You know, and after several months, I really felt like I had more loving kindness than could ever be possible. I loved everybody. You know, I loved everybody in the whole world, every creature. And I thought, I've really done this. You know, I'm really together. I've got this really spiritual life. And then I had to make this trip to New Delhi to get my visa renewed. And the first thing that happened as I got on the bus was the bus driver pinched my behind. And one second later, I hit the bus driver in the head. <laughs> and I suppose it would have been all right if I'd hit him with loving kindness. <laughs> but the actuality was I was totally angry with this guy. Yet I had all the form of a spiritual life. I think that the first step in living a truly dedicated life, a life of wisdom, a life of compassion, and a life of freedom, is to be able to put aside the constructions that we have 
and the hierarchies that we make about what spirituality looks like. Each one of us has the possibility to live as a fully conscious, awake, and compassionate human being. To fulfill that possibility, dedication, commitment, is a very major ingredient. Each one of us longs for the end of separation and division and all the shadows that follow separation the shadows of anger, of conflict, of greed and alienation. Each one of us longs to fulfill the potential that we have. The possibility for doing this doesn't lie in the form or in the structures of our lives. The possibility for doing this lies in our hearts. It lies in the quality of dedication that we truly have to that fulfillment. The dedication that is important in this path is feeling truly dedicated in our hearts to what is of fundamental value, fundamental significance to us. Cultivating that dedication that heals separation, that brings peace, that brings wisdom. The vehicle for all of this It's not in structures. It's not in time. It's not in form. It is in our relationship to our lives. This is the only place, I feel, that true dedication can actually reveal itself. There's that wonderful saying of Don Juan, that to an ordinary person, everything is either a blessing or a curse. That to a person on a spiritual journey, everything is a challenge. I think the part of the difficulty that we have in accepting that everything in our lives is a vehicle truly for deepening and understanding and compassion, part of the difficulty we have is all around the word spiritual. We have, because of our own stories and our own histories and our own conditioning, so many associations with what it means to be spiritual. And for many of us, being spiritual requires some kind of evidence that we have a particular uniform or a particular lifestyle or that we sit on a zafu or that we maintain silence, or that we live a life apart from the world. Many of you who are here have done this. You have done this. You have had times of leading a spiritual lifestyle. You have come on retreats. You've been alone, been silent, been apart from the world. And many of you in doing that have found indeed that you can come through that lifestyle to greater calmness, greater quietness, and greater peace. Many of us have also found that when we leave retreats and leave that lifestyle, that we also find ourselves leaving many of those qualities and experiences and states behind us. 
And on leaving retreats, the experience of many people is that they move from a spiritual consciousness, a spiritual mind, to an ordinary mind and an ordinary life where we meet pressures, where we meet lack of spaciousness, where at times we meet our own reactions to those pressures. And it's easy to rather jump to the conclusion that peace is somehow geographical. It belongs in certain territories, belongs in certain spaces and not in others. I'd like us just to reflect a moment on really what the difference is between the so-called spiritual mind that we cultivate on retreats and the ordinary mind that we cultivate in the world. What is the difference between those consciousness? It seems to me that one of the major differences is actually the ingredient of dedication. When we come on a retreat, we often have a clarity of intention. We are willing to be present. We are willing to be awake. We are willing to bring attention. That is what a formal retreat is all about, is really exploring what that willingness does. It's not to say that we come on retreats and never have any difficulties, never have any challenges. We know that when we come on retreats, we meet many of our demons, the same demons that we meet in the ordinary mind in the ordinary world. But sometimes there's a difference because we come into this environment and what is so much at the forefront of our consciousness is the willingness to be present with those demons the willingness to learn from them, the willingness to listen, to cultivate. And that willingness is dedication. It's a quality of dedication that cultivates an inner environment that is tuned into the moment, that is really listening, that is really willing to learn from whatever each moment brings to us. This actually is the nature of a spiritual life. This is what it actually means to live in a spirit of freedom. It is at times very easy for us and very tempting for us, I feel, to live in a spirit of limitation where we make endless lists of all the obstacles and the difficulties that prevent us from being awake, from being open, from being spacious, from being compassionate. And when we get very tied into those lists of everything that prevents us, it does at times, I feel for us, to be a truth that our spiritual lives is something that we must postpone into the future. Maybe when we retire. Maybe when our children are grown. When we've got more time, when we've got more space. We think, then we will be able to lead a spiritual life. I feel that one lesson, one basic lesson, we all learn from our stories and we all learn from our lives, is that freedom and compassion and wisdom have absolutely nothing to do with time or place or space that they have to do with our way of seeing. 
that wonderful story of the, ma- the gardener who was intent on creating the perfect lawn, flattened the, gra- the ground, and got the right fertilizer, and made it level, and made, tilled the earth, and planted the seed, and watered it, and watched over it, and the grass started to grow, and it looked like a perfect lawn until one morning there appeared a dandelion. And then he went into such panic and such distress. This dandelion has destroyed my perfect lawn. Went out and dug it up and put weed killer on it and planted some more seed. The next day there was two dandelions. More panic, more distress, more work to get rid of them. Began to write to experts. Wrote to the head of the horticultural society, how do I get rid of these dandelions? What can I do to have a perfect lawn? What can I do with these dandelions? And received the answer back, Sir, I suggest that you learn to love them. Our relationship to this moment, the way we see it, the way we hold it, is the only place that dedication and everything that makes a life of freedom possible can ever be expressed in our relationships, in our work, in our parenting, in our lifestyles. Dedication is all about our choices that we make. Do we grasp hold of things or do we let go? Do we dwell upon things Or do we cultivate spaciousness? Do we hide in images? Or do we cultivate openness? Do we have a beginner's mind? Or do we stay lost in our opinions? Are we willing to forgive? Or to harbor resentment? Are we willing to cultivate compassion? Or to hold on to anger? All of these choices are our opportunities to deepen in dedication, to live a life of freedom. I feel it is really important to be able to embrace these kinds of questions as our companions, as our allies, in every day, in every meeting, in every contact. They're an invitation. All of those are an invitation to explore these questions. We don't need to go to a monastery to ask them. We need to ask our lives. It's that wonderful Zen saying that if you really want to know a Zen master, master, ask his wife. This is so true. We need to ask our lives. We don't need experts. We don't need credentials. We need to look at our lives to know our greatest teachers because that's where our opportunities lie for deepening in calmness, in openness, in generosity. It is important to be able to ask these questions in a non-judgmental way. Judgment really only ever highlights the difficult, the imperfect. Judgments only really ever highlight the things that we label as weaknesses and failures. And judgment too often is a denial of possibilities. Judgments offer conclusions but little openness. 
They offer descriptions, but often very little truth. To be able to question our lives, to look at our lives, to learn from our lives without judgment is a way of honoring the spirit of freedom. What are the ingredients of dedication, of commitment? seems to me that one of the major ingredients of dedication is wholeheartedness. Energy, vitality, interest, perseverance, all of these spring from the ground of wholeheartedness. We know from our own experience that we need wholeheartedness really to bring anything in our lives to fruition. Anything that we want to bring to a real fruition requires wholeheartedness, whether it's meditation, whether it's relationships, whether it's work. What wholeheartedness offers us is a sense of eagerness, a willingness to be present, fully attentive, a oneness of attention with where we are. We only need to look at any situation in our lives where this wholeheartedness is absent to see the effects that come. The effects that come are instantaneous, they're fragmentation. When we're not wholehearted, we tend to be fragmented. We try to give partial attention to one thing while we're trying to do something else. We try to look at it in meditation. If there's ambivalence, you know, I've got a little bit of attention with my breath, meanwhile I've got this wonderful fantasy going on. What happens to the meditation is actually and doesn't feel very fulfilling. What happens when we listen to another person with only part of our attention, while another part of our mind is interrupting with judgments or advice or opinions, we don't listen very well. What happens when we listen to a child and our minds are already planning what we need to do next? How much we miss hearing what is actually being said to us. The same is true when we listen inwardly. Unless we are willing to be wholehearted in our inner listening, we are not going to hear our own inner rhythms and the subtlety of our own inner dynamics. When we don't attend wholeheartedly, we accumulate. And many of the things that we talk about here, you know, the reactions that we find difficult, the impatience we find difficult, the the irritation that we find hard to accept in ourselves, the the negativity that at times we find hard to accept in ourselves. What we are really dealing with there, what we are really being caught by, are our own accumulations. When we accumulate, when we're not fully attentive, things stick. Things stick in our consciousness. There's a sense of incompleteness, of not being able to let go. And many of the mental states we experience are a result of this process of accumulation. Where does wholeheartedness come from? Seems sometimes a hard thing to find in our lives. Where does wholeheartedness actually come from? 
It doesn't come from shoulds. It doesn't come from willpower or resolutions. Wholeheartedness comes from devotion. I think wholeheartedness truly comes from devotion. It comes from a sense of love. When we truly care for someone or for something, have a real passion for it, a person or a quality, we experience that sense of devotion and we have no difficulty with being wholehearted. We feel engaged and distance falls away. Think of the time, the first moment you held a newborn in your arms. You didn't have to worry about your mind wandering. Think about the times when we might be in nature, really listening, really connected, really appreciative. It is where we want to be. We don't want to be anywhere else. That quality of wholeheartedness is there because of the connection and because of the love. There are times when we are alone or when we're with another person that we care for. We don't have to worry about fragmentation because of that foundation of love and the foundation of devotion. Can we have that for our own freedom? Can we have that quality of devotion for our own well-being? Can we have that quality of care for our own wakefulness in our lives? When we experience that sense of connection, we also, I feel, experience a quality of authenticity. There's a sense of being at home. Those feelings are not strangers to us. To have that quality of devotion inwardly, I think we need to know what it is that we actually value, what it is that we actually honor, what it is that we love, what we feel dedicated to in our lives, and where we find it. We don't find it in fleeting pleasures. We don't find it in achievements. We don't find it in possessions. We find it within those things that are truly enduring, those qualities that actually contribute to our well-being, to the well-being of our world. Integrity, peace, wisdom, compassion. These are the qualities that we can't compartmentalize. Our devotion to them allows us to live a spiritual life that brings tremendous sincerity. Living a spiritual life doesn't mean that you stop having fun. It doesn't mean that you become suddenly very somber and miserable and serious in your life but it does mean a quality of interconnectedness that is enduring. It's not always easy to find this sense of wholeheartedness, to find this sense of devotion. And I think there are very few people who would deny that it is not benefited by some level of discipline not dictatorial, not judgmental, not willpower discipline, but the discipline too that's born of love, that knows how to forgive and how to let go. We're not immune, any of us, from the prevailing values and standards of our culture. 
We're part of them and we contribute to them. We can never say that the difficulties in our life are somehow all out there. They too lie within us, the ways in which we deal or avoid pain or anger or difficulty. Letting go is about letting go of denial, letting go of numbness, letting go of the ways in which we armor ourselves against life. Waking up is sometimes painful, but actually it's far more painful to accept a life of fantasy and images. No one can actually substitute for us in the cultivation of wholeheartedness. There's a story I'd like to read you. A man was walking through the forest and he saw a fox that had lost its legs and he wondered how this fox lived. Then he saw a tiger come in with game in its mouth. The tiger had its fill and left the rest of the meat for the fox. The next day, God fed the fox by means of the same tiger. The man began to wonder at God's greatness and said to himself, I too shall just rest in a corner with full trust in the Lord, and he will provide me with all that I need. He did this for many days, but nothing happened. And he was almost at death's door when he heard a voice say, O you who are in the path of error, open your eyes to the truth. Follow the example of the tiger and stop imitating the disabled fox. No one can substitute for us in cultivating wakefulness, in cultivating wholeheartedness. No one can deliver us peace, deliver us freedom. They, might, they so much lie within our own willingness to let go to let go of everything that clouds our vision, to everything that clatters our lives unnecessarily, that creates confusion. And then I feel more and more a path of dedication, a path of living in the spirit of freedom becomes so much clearer to us. Renunciation is not loss. Renunciation is not deprivation. Letting go is an act of compassion for ourselves. It's also an act of compassion for our world. Letting go is the way in which we actually celebrate and honor our own capacity for wakefulness. A life of dedication is not the territory of only saintly or special people. It concerns our lives the way in which we live, the way in which we relate to each moment. It doesn't require any special credentials, any special expertise. It requires the very same quality that allows any retreat to be transforming, that willingness to be awake, that willingness to be present, the willingness to learn, the willingness to learn from what each moment brings to us. May our beings live with sensitivity. May our beings live with clarity. 
May all beings live in the spirit of freedom. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.